Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, uh, well, well, well. Very pleasant. Good morning. Sorry about the delay, but the uh, old video thing uh, was not working between Fred Dashevsky and Patrick Timpone and Dripping Springs. It's a long way uh, to Tipperary and also from Dripping Springs to Hilton Head, where Fred's office is, as he commandeers the... uh, uh, company called U.S. Coin Capital that we're going to tell you about this morning because the way things are going, you just may want to buy some gold. Well, I don't know. Fred will tell you why you might want to, but he's got a great company. He started it uh, with Andrew Goss, uh, my mentor, and uh, uh, Fred's mentor, too, in the world of money. And um, Andy left us unexpectedly about three years ago. Uh, Fred regrouped his company. He just rebooted it and changed it to U.S. Coin Capital. And their number is 800-878-2646. And he's on the first Wednesday of the month, and that would be today. We've been doing quite a few shows on the um, Russian-Ukrainian thing. And our our suspicions, after talking with Tom Luongo and other people um, and looking at the Saker uh, blog, is that virtually every media outlet in the world is telling you uh, the wrong thing. But, you know, that's just, but it, it does matter because it'll probably depend on how long this thing is going to go on, which will affect uh, the world of money because it is doing it today. Uh, oil is up to about 110 bucks, and gold, and let me look at gold, and let me say hi to Fred. Fred Jashevsky, uh thanks for, uh, you know, trying to find a get here. We, you, find, you made it. You made it. Yeah, good morning. I, I don't know what the technological problem was. You know, uh, I, I guess we've become so accustomed to being able to get these things to work smoothly when they don't. It's like, what? What's wrong with these things? Their toys are not playing well. They're not playing. So yesterday, gold was goes like 40 bucks, and now it's down $25. How does that work? Give or take. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's going to be an awful lot of volatility in gold on a day-to-day basis, which I have been telling my clients <laughs> to basically ignore. Um, you know, there's multiple things that drive the price of gold normally, and what had been the case for gold up to about, let's say, a week ago, had been the growing inflation statistics, which had been progressively coming out at higher and higher levels, almost shocking a lot of economists, and especially apparently the Federal Reserve, still surprised by the rate <laughs> of inflation. But uh, on top of that, of course, once the Russian situation broke out and things became uh, volatile and uncertain, you know, you, you've got massive amounts of manipulation, but you also have a lot of uh, juggling going on. You know, there is movement of capital all over the world, everybody trying to get mm. to a position where they can either benefit from or protect uh, from what's happening currently. So, Interesting. Uh, yeah. These geopolitical situations, I've always said, you know, they are a kind of an exogenous event that could also just exacerbate uh, an existing problem. I think they have enabled people to sort of wake up to a little bit of a reality about the fact that there was really a fundamental problem that existed. It's just become a lot clearer. You know, you need a, a tipping point for people mentally. Uh, and I think this unsettling situation and suddenly now this creation of all this uncertainty coming out of Russia ha- has just led to an awful lot of scrambling. So it's yeah. going to create volatility for sure. So that's a good point. And Tom Luongo mentioned it yesterday. He he suspected the stock market was going to be okay because there's a whole bunch of money fleeing Europe and they're going to come over here and they'll probably buy stocks. Well, that's a hard way for the stock market to have to go up, you know, for the scare tactic of people fleeing <laughs> right. European money. Well, you know, he was as just a last being a resort. contrarian, Fred, to the people that's saying it's going to crash, you know. 
No, I get it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, again, I, I'm going to say, for the most part, we can almost take out the Russian situation uh, because I'm a more long-term-minded person when yeah, it comes sure. to the way I think people should view accumulating gold and silver coins. I don't think we should ever do it for short-term market movements that are occurring because of a geopolitical event that's going to come and go. Now, having said that, I don't know how long this situation is going to last. So here we are, right, beginning of March. This thing may end in a week. It may take months. We don't know. We may be talking about this like, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. one of these Asian wars or Mid-Eastern wars that goes on. We talk five years from now. We're still talking about it. I I have no idea at this point. Nobody does. But But I do know that the stock market, if we take out the Russian situation for a moment, was going to have a real fundamental problem going forward this year because of the significant change in Federal Reserve policy that had driven the market and allowed it to climb the past several years, which has been the Fed's free money system. You know, giving money free uh, enabled companies to buy their own stock. And I looked at a lot of these things um, and found it rather interesting that many stock prices had gone up, you know, in some cases 20 or 30 percent over a couple of years, without those underlying companies ever making more profit than they previously had. And it happened because the stock companies themselves bought their own stock. Bought their own. And that happened with, uh, what kind of companies? Can you, do you remember which? Well, like uh, the Boeing, guys? for example, Boeing. Uh, you know, a lot of the pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. a lot of the technology companies, you know, pretty much across the board, the FANGs were doing it, you know, that Facebook and Apple and Netflix. Yes, you know, sir. A lot of the companies utilized this ability to borrow money at near zero interest to drive their stock prices up, which made perfect sense if you were the CEO of these companies because your bonuses, which are in the tens of millions of dollars, Mm. come directly from the increase in stock value, not necessarily fundamental increases in valuation or profit that your company is making. And you saw a lot of this over the last three years, you say? A tremendous amount of it. In fact, it was a big portion of what drove a lot of these stocks higher it wasn't because they were making more profit. It was because they were purchasing their own stock and driving the value higher. Now, explain to our listeners around the world, and we have a lot of new ones. We're getting new ones all the time, Fred, to tell about your company and other things. How it is that that, that these people can borrow money at, like, you say practically nothing, about a quarter point, 0.25, something like that. How can they do that? What's the mechanism well, the mechanism is simple. The Federal Reserve affords opportunities for large corporations to accumulate wealth in the form of borrowing cheap when they want to stimulate economic growth. So part of the stimulus mm-hmm. the Federal Reserve utilized in order to move the economy forward was to make money available through the banking system at incredibly cheap rates. And therefore, the banks could loan to these large corporations. And again, you know, near zero, not exactly zero, but close enough to where all they had to do was drive the stock price value slightly higher than the cost of borrowing the money, and it became profitable. Hmm. And they were able to do this if they could move their stock, let's say, 3% or 5%, and it only cost them a quarter of a percent wow. to borrow the money. Well, that was massively profitable. And herein lies the problem. Now that the Fed is no longer making this money available at these cheap rates, and it's beginning to make the cost go up, this game is coming to an end. And therefore, it is completely changing the way that everyone is viewing the value of these stocks. Mm. Suddenly, people are going back to, 
Well, let's look at their fundamentals. Are they making a profit? How are their valuations? You know, are they at 20 times their earnings or 70 times their earnings? You know, sometimes these valuations were insanely over the current production of the companies. And again, supported by this cheap money policy. Now that this is coming to an end because Fed uh, decisions have now reversed that policy, we're revaluing the companies and suddenly there are huge market corrections occurring in an awful lot of these high-flying stocks. And I think that is going to be the prevailing problem going forward. Now, what Fred is talking about is the thing that everybody talks about. The Fed is going to raise rates or lower rates, right? Rates. That is the the federal funds rate, if I understand what you've taught, that banks can loan to Patrick if he's got a $50 billion big company, whatever, right? That's the federal funds rate, correct? Yeah, the Fed funds rate, right. And then the discount rate, which is the loaning rates between banks. And as long as these rates remain low, you know, the short the short line here is that, and we can connect all the dots, but the short line is, mm. is that big corporations get to borrow money for next to nothing. Next to nothing. And wow. again, they utilize that opportunity. And I'm not saying that was a bad business decision, but it has created a gap. And the gap now is that we no longer have that opportunity. So people are going back and saying, okay, now let's take a look at this company. The stock value has right. driven its market price to X. Is that justifiable? You know, what do their actual earnings look like? And now as these companies are reporting earnings, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, there's been, I will call it, revaluation of a lot of these stocks that have dropped precipitously. As we now look and say, I think this may have been a little extended. You know, this stock price doesn't really reflect the actual amount of profit that the company's making or what we value them to be because we think that the valuations, the multiple that they've been valued at, it's just it's just too far extended. Yeah, so, so Freddie, um, uh, but they haven't even raised rates yet; just talked about no, it. No, they have not. Right? And, you know, they're just talking. Now they're out this morning. I think uh, Powell is going to talk to Congress or something. He did, yeah. Oh, did he talk? And, and yep. now he's kind of backing off on the alleged point, fifth, half a point that they were going to maybe do. I don't think they were ever going to do the half a point. You don't think they were ever going to do the half a point? No, I, people went from the Fed's not going to raise rates to they're going to raise rates once to they're going to raise rates three times. I heard people saying they're going to raise rates seven times this year. <laughs> well, that's Seven times in, in a single year, that means just about every Fed meeting, they're going to raise rates again and again and again. Um, the, the problem was is that the inflation numbers kept coming out, and every time a new inflation statistic, and again, we have talked about this for so many years, and Andy had talked about this forever, we know that the numbers the government produces are ridiculously yes, skewed. we know. You know, if, if we accept that they're 50% of reality, I think that's being kind. But even at their numbers, the inflation numbers were staggering. First, it was a 7.5% uh, consumer price index, then a 9% producer price index, then a 5.4% core rate. Mm. And these are three times or four times what the Fed had expected. And suddenly faced with that reality, uh, everybody started saying, oh, my goodness, the Fed is so far behind the curve that they're not going to get away with merely a rate hike or even two. We're probably going to have to raise rates three times or four times and five times. Well, this was all before the Russian situation. Yes, Once sir. that came out, we added a little bit more volatility, and, and now we've got a lot more uncertainty. So now people are saying, well, okay, maybe they won't need to raise rates. This might be somehow positive for the Fed's position that 
this volatility in Russia has kicked in because it may constrain some of the inflationary pressures that they're feeling. So maybe they'll only have to raise rates three times. Now the <laughs> mentality is we're back to the expectation it's only going to be three times. But yeah. did, but Powell did say this morning that the uh, inflation rate was too high. Did he? The current inflation rate, too high. Too high. Bullard was out this morning. I, what is he, Freddie? He's the one of the one of the um, Federal Reserve banks. I'm sorry, who? Bullard. Yep. Bullard. Uh, he, maybe St. Louis. I don't know which one he is, but he said that we really have to slow down this accommodation, otherwise we're going to lose credibility. And the accommodation is the fancy word for it. We have to stop printing so much money. <laughs> well, yeah, and accommodation is exactly what we were talking about, making money available for zero mm. to corporations to allow them to move the economy forward is fine. Not really, but I mean, it, it is fine from a standpoint of if your intent is to drive an economy forward that you feel has become too slow, then accommodation makes sense. Yeah. And this accommodative policy has been going on for too long. The Fed should have stopped this two years ago, but it did not. It continued to do it. And as you said, even though they're talking about raising rates this month, they still have not stopped the purchases of their assets. Uh, indeed, they have they're not. They're supposed to slow that down, yeah. come to a complete halt, and then start to raise interest rates, all of which will, again, change this accommodative uh, uh, nature that the Fed has allowed to exhibit itself through the economy for the past two years with the intent of suggesting that, hey, we have a pandemic, and we accept the notion that the pandemic has slowed the economy down. So they're going to blame everything on that, whether that's right or wrong is irrelevant. They're going to blame and it. And their, their response is simply that because of the slowdown that we've seen in the economy, the Fed needs to do things to help it go forward. So we're going to make money available cheap. We're going to help companies raise their stock values. We're going to help everybody who wants to borrow money do it cheap. And, of course, we don't want to forget the government decided to also help with their stimulus packages and send out checks to people across the United States. Yes, sir. All of these things involved were part of this accommodative nature to move an economy forward. The problem being, I think, they overdid it. Now they're feeling the inflation results of all this money they printed because they didn't stop soon enough. Now we have a backwash of money pouring into the U.S. at inflation numbers we have not seen since 1982. They have not been this high since the early 1980s. And everybody is saying this is just a, uh, it's like a revisitation of what we saw in the the 70s. We're we're doing it all over again. You know, and and if uh, Tom Luongo is correct, who was on yesterday, if he's correct, Freddie, that would, could add to inflationary pressures if more money that's generally parked in Europe is going to come here because they're frightened of what's going on in Europe, right? Well, certainly, certainly will exacerbate yep. an existing problem. And these are things that, we, you know, are kind of unpredictable from the Fed's standpoint. They don't yeah, they know don't. Yeah, they don't. that these things are going to happen and couldn't have predicted the Russian invasion would result in Europeans fleeing Europe money and pouring money into the U.S. I mean... They, you know, the things that have happened in the past couple of weeks have been kind of uh, staggering. Uh, if you're in Russia, the Russian ruble has lost thirty sure. percent well, of its, its value. 30, I thought it was more. I thought it was half. No, that was just this week. Oh, that was just this week. Wow, just this week, thirty percent. So, what are so people with rubles was, doing for? How are they making? Uh, it? And it's it's hurting. I mean, there are people that are really hurting there, and you know, um, even mm. as a nation. You know, Russia is exhibiting a real big problem here, but 
for whatever it's worth. I mean, Putin was very well aware of this he knew. potential problem. He knew. So he had been loading up on foreign currencies and gold and, of course, his oil production in order to help sort of uh, balance out what right. was inevitably going to be a, a drop in the Russian right. ruble. But can you imagine in America if you woke up within a, <laughs> you know, a week and 30% of the value of the dollar was gone and the week before that 20% had dropped, so now you're down, like you said, 50% wow. on the value of your money in a month? Boy, I, I can't even envision how Americans would, would address that. And, and Freddie, as you know, the money boys are just having... Putin any way they can, right? Uh, they they did take him off, not totally, but a lot of the banks out of the SWIFT system. Tell folks what the SWIFT system is and why that's significant. Well, there are organizations that allow banks to work with each with each other in, in a rapid fashion to be able to conduct commerce amongst various nations. And what we're trying to do is utilize monetary sanctions. We've weaponized money, yeah. effectively what we've done. So as a tool to fight against an aggressor, instead of putting boots on the ground and sending troops, we're doing it through economic uh, uh, efforts. So one of them is to cut Russia out of the ability to conduct commerce uh, quickly through the banking industry and to work together to be able to move money back and forth and exchange foreign currencies. Without that ability, you know, let's say, for example, Russia foresaw this drop in the ruble, well, they could have just dumped all the rubles and bought, you know, Chinese yuan or Japanese yen or U.S. dollars or any other euro or something, but without the ability to make these maneuvers because we're cutting them out of the system, right. uh, we're, we're trying to add more pressure. So we're weaponizing monetary policy. Yeah, and now uh, the author this morning is saying we're, they're going to maybe sanction Russian oil coming in here yes. as well, which will probably drive well, the price is, of oil up and get more, right? I think so. Uh, you know, this is Russia's big, yeah, it's a big uh, deal. let's say, you know, tool in their bag is that they know they can produce oil at cheap. cheap cheap levels. Now, think about it this way, too. You know, they can utilize this politically. So they can start allying people and say, hey, if you will be my friend, we'll give you I'll that. sell you oil cheaper than the current market level. Yeah. And, and what if I did that at a substantial <laughs> discount? Yeah. Be my friend and support us in this battle and help us fight off the West. And, you know, the more of that power that they utilize, uh, the more they weaponize their oil production. So this has become kind of complicated. And it is the reason why everybody is scrambling to say, well, how is this going to affect the oil markets? But meanwhile, the knee-jerk reaction is the speculators are piling in, believing that oil is going to have to go up on these, you know, situations. So, yeah, the next thing you know, what was that WTI? Just just people betting that it's going to go up, yeah. I think it was 80 just a couple of weeks ago at WTI. Now it's like, I said, what is it, 106? 107 uh, at the moment. 107. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a Brent. Lot of that's Brent. Too. No, I'm sorry. That's WTI. Brent is about two bucks. 107, higher. yeah. Yeah. So, WTI, again, all these yeah. increases in the oil uh, prices, definitely a reflection of the speculation of, you know, how do we address these issues? And, of course, in the modern world, look how fast news travels. You know, these things yeah, 20 these, years oh. ago. <laughs> would not have happened in a matter of days. It would have been, you know, weeks sure. for everybody to reposition themselves. And you would have seen a slow transition of capital moving from one market or commodity to another. 
Uh, and again, of course, a lot of people looking at gold, which is what's driving its current price to you know the 1920 levels. And then, of course, one day we get maybe a little bit of reaction from the Fed or a little bit of uh, positive news coming out. And the next thing you know, people say, okay, we can back off of that fear-mongering and, and work away from the idea that we need to protect our wealth for a moment. And the price of gold drifts back down. I think, again, a lot of the movement in gold, maybe $30, $40 worth of what's happened recently is temporary. It may sustain itself because the inflation pressures underlying it are, are not going away. But again, a lot of this is a knee-jerk reaction. So I just caution people not to be, you know, either overly concerned or overly excited about these short-term movements yeah. in the metals. Yeah, well, that's good advice. Fred Dashevsky is with us. Patrick Timpone on The Real World of Money. I'm going to put your slide up here since you don't have a video to show people. Hey, here's his uh, company, Great company. They have a shame. A, I look good today. You you look great. You look, <laughs> man. I, it's like are you getting you look marvelous? Are you you look marvelous? 800-878-2646. He's got a great staff there, and your team knows what they're doing too. If folks call, they don't necessarily have to talk to you, right? They can talk to anybody. Yeah, we have a good, well-educated staff. I've added a few people who are working with us, um, some part-time and some full-time, but everybody has been well-educated onto the idea of what we're doing and how to do it properly. We have spent a lot of time trying to make sure people get correctly educated so that they approach this properly. And to me, you know, again, I, I these things are interesting when they happen, these geopolitical events, sure. but I am looking at the long-term inflationary problem, and again, I still find it troubling um, how the Fed has been so far behind the curve here and not recognizing the results of what they had done for so many years and being surprised by it still, I, I just find this a little bit unsettling because it leads me to one of two conclusions. They're either this far disconnected from understanding the nature and the mechanisms of what they do or they're just flat out lying. So um, what do you need an education for if we're going to buy gold? I mean, if we think it's going to go up, we'll just call you guys and buy some coins. Absolutely. Well, it's good to understand, you know, what kind of gold and silver coins are going to be best for what you're looking to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Different people at different age levels should look at different kinds of things. What percentages of one's assets should be allocated to this kind of market? You know, how to properly buy and sell, where to store them. Um, again, more specifically, what kind of gold and silver coins are best uh, and, and how to know how to do that all properly so that, you know, yeah. um, there's nothing wrong with any form of physical gold and silver. There are definitely better forms, if you will. We've talked about bullion versus, you know, actual coins minted by the U.S. Treasury. Even if we're talking about circulated gold coins, which have nearly no numismatic value, or circulated silver coins that nearly no numismatic value, they're still far better than bullion. And those kinds of things are the things we like to point out to people. Interestingly, for example, this week, premiums on half dollars went up again, uh, separating themselves slightly more from the quarters and the dimes, hmm. which reminds me of exactly the same situation that happened with silver dollars about 20 years ago. Uh, 20 years ago, a silver dollar, which was up to 1935, that was the last silver dollar minute in the U.S., mm -hmm. and remember we made dimes, quarters, and half dollars 30 years later to 1964. The silver dollars used to trade just like the other, uh, we call it junk silver, I hate that expression, but yeah. the you know the circulated coins at the same premiums. But little by little, what happened with silver dollars is they started to cost a little bit more and a little bit more. Well, today, a silver dollar is 100% over its melt value for a worn-out, 
circulated old silver dollar. Uh, what do you, so, so in other words, uh, does it have, Freddie, about, about 0.9 or what is it? Uh, 0.77 ounces of pure 0. silver. 0.77 ounces if you melted it down. Of some, right. So it would be 0. 0.77 times the spot price around there. Roughly $25 an ounce at spot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. about 25 bucks. So you maybe you could get, if you melted it down, you get maybe $20. About 20 bucks worth 20 bucks. of silver. And now, what but does it cost? But if you wanted to buy a silver dollar, it's yeah. about $40. And, that, no. and that's for a really worn circulated coin. Just nothing, coin. right? No numismatic value, just, a, nope. just silver. So yep. what, what's up with that? Well, the reason for that was, again, because they stopped minting the silver dollars 30 years earlier, that the value of them began to grow a little bit more. And the same thing is beginning to happen now with half dollars, uh-huh. where... They're carrying about a you know a five or eight or ten percent premium over their melt value more than quarters and dimes. And again, for the same reason, we minted less in the for, in the in the number of half dollars than we happen to have made out of quarters and dimes. We made more of the lower denomination coins, and as time is marching forward, that premium value for halves is growing a little bit, which is again a benefit for those people that have been buying silver dollars, silver half dollars, sure. quarters and dimes more than those people that are merely buying bullion. This is one of the outside benefits of owning American-made U.S. legal currency coins. Not only is this legal American constitutional money, which I think everybody should own, but it is a fixed supply market. And that is a an essential thing that people sometimes forget. You know, we, we I remember when people were talking about you know, I don't want to drift into this subject, but the, grift, the cryptos, for example, one of the things about Bitcoin that people were um, arguing positively about was the fact that Unlimited, it would be a yeah. limited fixed number, right? right? Well, imagine if that was already the case. Well, that is the case when it comes to silver coins, and it has been since 1964. And in silver dollars, it's been the case since 1935. And in gold coins since 1933, we've not made a single more and cannot go back and make another one. So whatever is out there in the world today is it forever. Unlike oil, you can't produce more. You can't mine more out of the earth. You cannot do anything to increase supplies. So what happens as we move forward, not only do you get increases in value because of the underlying metal that they're made of going up, but also as these individual pieces in their own form become somewhat rarer, the values begin to increase on those accordingly as well. This is great. It's a perfect email. Good for you, Gloria. Uh, says, well, I have a whole bunch of silver dollars, so should I sell them now or wait? <laughs> well, I would say wait only because I think the prices will continue to climb unless you're in a short-term position where you need the money today for right. you know, you know, some emergency. I think the trend is certainly going in your direction positively that I think this will continue to become a more valuable tool for you as time moves forward, especially against the U.S. dollar, which I believe within five years is going to take a significant haircut in buying power. And I know that people were having a harder time a year ago really seeing this. You know, we talked about inflation. We talked about the underlying characteristics. I was watching what creates the inflation, not the end result, which is price increases. Mm -hmm. Remember, that is the end result of creating money, prices going up. The first thing that happens is there's an increase in the supply. Then it filters through the economy. Then it begins to change prices. That's what people begin to notice. But by that point, the damage has been done. So before we saw price increases, which are now becoming so clear, everybody could see it, before that, I was worried about this ridiculously massive increase in the supply of money being created by the Fed 
to compensate for this slowing economic environment. And now we're beginning to see that. So I would think that going forward, the impact of all this money is going to continue to drive prices higher. That means that silver dollar will, will most likely cost more in a few years. If you don't need to sell it today, I would hang on with, with strong hands. Uh-huh. Is there? Is there? How do you do the... Uh, what's a good word? Currency silver is better than junk silver, right? Currency silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah coin uh, silver. Uh, coin silver. How how do you sell that? Uh, limits. Uh, talk a bit about that, if people, because that is a nice way they can get in for not a great deal of money, right? No, I mean we have a minimum of roughly a thousand dollars as an order, and you know people can accumulate a hundred thousand, million dollars worth, or a thousand dollars worth, and, okay. and then add to their pile at any time they want to, or as they can, and build their position little by little. I do recommend that people look at this as as a diversification tool. You know, as much as I am concerned about a paper dollar and believe fundamentally that is seriously flawed, and it it really is, uh, it's frustrating to look at the fact that we allowed this to occur without fighting back or pushing back when we went off the standard of gold and silver against the U.S. dollar. But being that that's the case, I do believe that it's always about diversification. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know one thing from history. Those people that have had multiple asset classes in their wealth, that is, they're not counting on any one thing, have fared way better than anybody who is too far and too heavily invested in any one part of the market. So I've always looked at gold and silver coins as a way of diversifying. Mm -hmm. And I think people should have a percentage. You know, I think the minimum bare minimum of around 15% uh, has held up well. In current economic environments, most people have doubled that because they just don't buy into the idea that a dollar is going to hold its value well. So you can accumulate silver in the form of these pre-65 times quarters and halves in large or small quantities and just build your stash pile until you can get to that percentage you feel is providing you with that safety that you need. And there's just no indication, Mr. Daszewski, that these people who play around with money in geopolitics and po- political worlds and central banks are going to really, I mean, they're in a situation where they're going to have to continue to increase the monetary system just to keep this thing going, aren't they? I mean, Well, they have to, they yes, because the government has not stopped deficit doing anything. spending. Yes. And the percentage at which we're deficit spending has exceeded the GDP levels, you know, we're at one point. Uh, you know, 119% of GDP ratio to deficit spending. Mm. In, in other words, the point being that the government is spending a lot more money uh, than even the economy is growing to the point where we're going backward uh, to a level where it will require additional capital. And consider this, if we just want to add more problems to the soup, Remember that the Federal Reserve is currently now uh, sitting on a $9 trillion balance sheet. $9 trillion. I looked at it this morning. Nine. Yeah, nine. Okay, and I remember saying when it was $5.5 that we would get to close to $10 trillion in a Fed balance sheet, and it sounded nuts at the time, and here we are, $9 trillion two years later. And with that $9 trillion on their balance sheet, again, that creates a kind of a fundamental problem in that the government is still spending money, so it needs to sell more debt. Yes in the form of treasuries and bonds. It needs to find buyers for that. If the Fed is going to try to unwind its balance sheet simultaneously, that's a lot of competition, and there isn't that much money in the world for both players to be participating yeah. in the open market. Let's explain market that, because that is interesting. So what Fred is talking about, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York has purchased um, 
treasuries. Not you know, not all of them. They spend. What is it, Fred? About uh, the, the general market takes up about half, maybe, and the Fed picks up some more. I'm looking on the balance sheet now. They have U.S. securities about six trillion. So they have six trillion dollars of United States um, debt, right? <clears throat> debt yep. that they've they've done to do build back better, whatever they do. So the Fed, if they want to sell these into the open market at the same time, and why do they, first off, why do they have to sell it to the open market? Well, because, again, it, it creates a fundamental problem inflationary-wise if the Fed is sitting on $9 trillion worth of debt instruments that it eventually was going to have to unload. Everybody looks at that as a fundamental problem, and it, and it reminds people of the credibility issue. If the Fed is continually being the only resource to buy the U.S. government's debt, it's mm. not a good sign. No. You know, it shows that there's not a lot of interest or support uh, or belief in the federal government's ability to maintain its debt. And, and if it can't, if that, you know, if that confidence is gone, you know, and again, I will refer to this in, in terms of psychology because you have to remember that a lot of what happens in the world is based upon a psychological status. How do we believe the markets are fundamentally strong, weak, you know, what is the perception? And if the perception is, is that, hey, I don't believe the government's ability to sustain its debt is strong, I'm not going to be willing to buy 30-year bonds from a government that I just don't know whether they'll ever be able to repay it. Or if they're going to repay it, that they're going to inflate the crap out of the dollar they're going to pay me back with over the next 30 years, so that what am I really gaining here? So there's this confidence issue that has to be sustained. And if the Federal Reserve is the only buyer of U.S. debt, which at this point they're not, they're but not. because they hold such a substantial quantity, that 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 by itself creates a bit of uh, disconcert amongst a lot of the world markets. So, you know, for the Fed to suggest that the economy is strong, it would have to say, well, we can simply unwind all of this, you know, stuff that we've bought the past few years to stimulate the economic environment. But if we can't, uh, you know, then again, how are they going to do that successfully, keep the confidence level high, while sustaining the ability of the U.S. government on a current basis to continue to have to sell more of this same debt, of these debt instruments? You know, look at what's happened as they hold debt auctions every week. Uh, depending upon what they're paying, there's been tremendous, you know, drive to those markets because suddenly the rates are going up and people are going, oh, this is wonderful. Or sometimes people look at it and say, eh, you know, mm-hmm. and we have a horrible, horrible, uh, you know, debt sale. So they hold an auction and it's like nobody shows up. You know? <laughs> you know? So the Fed ends up buying a lot more that week. And, and that is problematic. And people don't want to see the Fed as the only place buying government debt because it just continues to add to the Fed's balance sheet, which everybody understands at some point they will have to unwind. The more of this they're holding, the more they become a key player. We don't want the Fed. In, in the best scenario, the Fed is barely participating in debt purchases. The world is buying the debt. You're buying the debt. I'm buying the debt. Other countries, hedge funds, investors all over the world, because they believe in the U.S. government's ability to repay with a strong dollar going forward. The more that that perception fades, the harder the environment gets. Uh, Fred Dashevsky is here with The Real World of Money. His number, if you'd like to talk to him, 800-878-2646. You've mentioned this before, and it's and Andy used to talk about how customers, when they see the price of gold going up, they call and they want to buy more, right? 
that's kind of a human nature thing. Are you been getting it that? It is a human nature <laughs> thing. I've experienced that for, for the 38 years I've been doing this. I, you know, always found it interesting that when prices are down or low, it's a lot more work for us to convince people that this is a good opportunity for them to accumulate. People do get excited about moving mm-hmm. upward markets. And it, again, it is the nature of the way people are. Uh, at the highest prices for gold and silver, we've always had the highest number of buyers which is fundamentally exactly the opposite of the way people should be doing these things. But, you know, listen, people will do what they do. Human nature is what it is. And it's always been that way. Um, but, again, it's all relative. Uh, the highest price for gold technically still was 1980, when that $860 market price then translates into today's dollars at about 2600 That still represents the highest we've ever seen for gold. So, you know, technically now at 1900 and change, you know, we're, we're still 30% from what was then high. And think about how much more money there is now than there was in 1980. Mm-hmm. Here's an email for you from KMF. Are numismatics, oh, like an art piece, part, art, art pieces in value? I guess, I, I think. Okay, I, I get the question. Yeah. And, and in some cases, the answer is yes. Um, there are two forms of, well, you know, there are more than two forms, but basically there are, uh, let's say in a broad sense, a couple of areas within the numismatic market. This is going to sound, and I've said this a thousand times, it is a bit oxymoronic that there are what we call common rare coins. I know that sounds funny, but if you take a standard $10 or $20 gold coin, not a rare date, but just typical common date coin, they are available in large quantity, and they have a little bit of value for their numismatic premiums, in mint condition especially. But then there are really rare coins that are truly rare. You can't buy more than one at a time. You can't get 10 of them. You couldn't get 10 of them in a year. I don't care if you have Bill Gates' money. It's not the fact that you have money to spend. They are simply not available. Can't do it. And those can't do it. So they're so scarce, uh, and their values can be, you know, there are... 250 coins that are worth more than a million dollars. And it's not because they have a million dollars worth of metal content. Some of them are silver or copper. Hmm. You know, there are silver dollars that are worth $10 million. They're clearly not really? because there's $10 million worth of silver in them. If you ever had the, the juice, just for fun question, because none of us have it, but if we ever had the juice to buy like something like that, could you actually be assured that 10 years from now would be worth more probably? Well, I mean, there's no guarantee of anything going forward, but I I, I look at the trend of it. Again, it wasn't that long ago. There wasn't even a coin that had cracked the million-dollar range. You know, they told us when I first started in the business, we would never see a coin really achieve a million-dollar price tag. But once that barrier was broken, it got shattered over and over and over and over again. And, you know, now, like I said, there's more than 250 or 300 coins that have broken the million-dollar barrier and and a bunch that have cracked the $10 million. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I think the potential for them to continue to become more valuable going forward is is very reasonable. Uh, again, there's no guarantees of anything going sure. forward. That's the way life is. But in terms of if you had to do it um, from a point of how likely is it, <laughs> I think the likelihood is extremely heavily weighted toward these things becoming much more expensive as years go on. We're live here this morning, March 2nd. Fred, explain to us why this... Uh interest rate hike is so important and how the money gets out there through corporations and people buying their own stock and and stuff like that. And just in, uh, the Chairman Powell said it's going to be 25 or a quarter point in March meeting. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So I think that'll be the first of several rate mm-hmm. hikes that will go that'll happen this year. Again, the Fed has now ha- had to face a reversal of its positions of monetary accommodation. It now has to face the reality that it has overdone that. It has printed way too much money, made money too cheap for way too long, hmm. and now there's a result that is occurring, which is a high inflationary environment, stock prices that are way overvalued, inflation simply too high, and now the Fed has to fight to get it under control. So rates will start going up to slow inflation. Herein lies the problem. The Fed is now going to have to do a perfect landing with this, you know, airplane of the economy. The imagine the rates, a, right? a little by yeah, little. imagine a prop plane with a, oh. you know, massive crosswind. You're trying to land this thing, and you've got this huge crosswind, you know, blowing at you. Well, the Fed has got to maneuver this perfectly. It has to raise rates just enough to fight off the inflation dragon, but not too much to choke the economy. And unfortunately, the Fed has a horrible track record of trying to manage these <laughs> Look what happened during the 70s, well. right? Look at during the, yeah, they they during generally the don't do this stuff well. Yeah, so yeah. I don't have a lot of confidence that the Fed's going to pull off this you know, soft landing, as they say. And mm. I would expect volatility to become a big problem. Also, two things. One, the, the, the word inflation was barely spoken a year ago. I mean, if you looked at the economic news on a regular basis rarely did the word inflation come up. Now, you can't go five minutes without it coming up. You know, I mean, it's, it's got to be a hundred times a day the word inflation appears in, in economic news. And secondly, I, I think we're going to see a lot of volatility in the stock market, which we had not experienced the past few years because the game has changed. While the Fed maintained this accommodative nature, it made it very easy for the stock market to continue to go up. Now that that is no longer the case, we are back to fundamentals. Stocks will rise if they actually make more profit, if their earnings are good, if their valuations are not way out of line. And that's going to be problematic. So if you're a stock investor, expect volatility. Expect the market to go up and down a lot on a daily basis, much more so than we've seen in the past few years. And again, this is why I believe diversification today into physical gold and silver coins is essential. Everybody should have a portion of their wealth in this physical world. The Dow is up uh, 600 points. Yeah, Big day today. Today, yeah. and but yesterday it was down 600 points, right? Well, so, that's what I mean by volatility. Well, that's it. Every boy. day, it's, an, it's like flip a coin. Which way is it going? Same way with gold, right? of the day. Look at yep. gold is down 30 bucks today. What was it up? Almost $40 yesterday? Uh, yeah. 40 bucks. 1916. Um, uh, this is great. Leon, so when is silver going to make the big move? I've been looking for years, and do I just give it up? Well, it, you know, <laughs> it's crossed 25 bucks. Yeah? I mean, it was sitting at 21.22, you know, so it doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, $3 on a $20 item, 15% of its market price that it's increased just in the past few weeks. So, you know, again, breakouts are going to happen from time to time, but I think we're going to see a slow, steady increase as we ratchet our way up. You know, remember, it looks like a, you know, a squiggly line going from left to right climbing, but it does not go straight up. That's just the nature of the way metals operate because it's a worldwide market and there's, you know, so many variables on a day-to-day basis that create its uh, market price. But I think the trend is definitely uh, looking very, very good going forward. Check this out. More, um, wow, collateral damage. The Dow Jones Russian GDR index an index designed to track the top Russian global depository receipts. 
that trades on the London Stock Exchange, the index plunged a mind-boggling 98% in just a few days and wiped out $572 billion from the market of 23 stocks. Yeah, including, it's tough to be a stock investor. Whoa, in including Gazprom, Cyberbank. You should see this chart, Fred. It's just dropped off a rock. Yep. Oh, my God, these poor people. Well, this is the problem when you have fundamental uh, valuations that are not based on reality. And, Jeez. again, when you're dealing in paper, you know. Yeah. Uh, again, why I always harken back to the idea of real, tangible, physical wealth. That is a cool thing if you got your little gold and silver coins and you're safe or in your you basement. Oh, you got it. No matter what they do, they can't, yep. they, they can't mess with those. I mean, they can certainly drive down the stock, uh, the, the spot price, right? And we know they do that. But long term, they can't mess with it, right? That's a beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, they've tried hard to keep it depressed because, again, it's a bad indicator of uh, the, the other mm-hmm. side of the world that the dollar is weak. If the price of gold is $5,000 an ounce, people are going to wake up and say, oh, my God, there must be something wrong with the dollar because they are mirror reflections of each other. So there is an awful lot of effort to uh, curtail you know, growth in the metal prices. But, again reality does win in the end you know it's just it's inevitable and that's the reason why gold isn't 300 an ounce anymore or 800 an ounce anymore or 1200 an ounce anymore now it's in this level and five years from now we'll be talking about it in the 23 2500 dollar level it's just the nature of the way the markets work yeah more of the financial warfare apple and google payment systems block russians causing chaos in moscow metro system boy the russian people are really going through it aren't they yeah. yeah, it's really tough there. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, imagine if you were exclusively in Russian rubles. You know, if everything you'd earned and saved, you've been working all your life, and you had Russian rubles in your local bank account, and they suddenly lost half of their value. You know, again, this is devastating for people there. I feel horrible for what those people are experiencing, again, for things outside of their control, which is what has always led me to believe that in the U.S., you know, if we're not going to provide our public with a system where the value of their money is, is intact. Yeah, that's and tough. And it's subject to these volatile changes, then people just need to recognize that is a flaw in the system enough <laughs> where they should diversify. <laughs> it's a fly in the ointment, yes. A little bit. And, little bit. Uh, a week, well, 10 days ago, maybe, or two weeks ago, I filled up my little propane tank, you know, Fred? Oh, yep. Well, it's generally 250 something like that, 750 bucks. <laughs> Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, that was like two weeks ago before anything. What was it? What? Man, and, and uh, this whole, as you know, the gas pipeline thing, you know, with the Nord Stream. Now Germany has said that they're going to stop it, but the people think that they're not going to because Germany needs that gas. And this, this whole thing is also about, you know, the liquid natural gas that the LNG, the United States, wants, wants to sell Europe. The whole thing is sure. such a mess, isn't it? Oh, man. It is. Just a mess. Well, kiddo, you should have a fun day. All right. Hope people want to I call you and talk. Time, Patrick. Oh, Sorry anytime. About the, uh, technological yeah, I don't know what's morning. going on. What We're still having about, some but... issues here, so something could be going on with my software. I mean, anything's possible, kid. Well, but, I've got another bo- podcast in ten minutes. We'll see if it was. Oh, um, you know. Oh, you see another. if you. Yeah, let me know if your audio worked <laughs> because then I no seriously, you email me because then I'll know if it was my audio or yours. Uh, Will do. Let me put your slide up there. Tell folks about your company before you go. Yep, U.S. Coin Capital. We physically provide gold and silver United States coins directly to our customers. You get physical delivery of the actual gold and silver coins. 
We'll be glad to talk to people about, again, how to go about doing this, how to do this properly, the amounts that people should work with, yeah. direct them towards the best kind of gold and silver coins to provide, and, uh, you know, check out our U.S. Coin Capital website. Uh, page, mm-hmm. our, our website, and there is a Facebook link there. If you go to that, there are podcasts from these shows, for example, uh, av- available, and any questions that people have, we'll be happy to answer. Mm-hmm. So are you suggesting, without criticizing any other company, that you may be more surface-orientated than the people selling gold at four in the morning on in, on the uh, yeah, television? Yeah, I, I th- find that to be the case. Again, <laughs> from the responses I've had from people over the 38 years I've done this, when they say they have talked to any other company, they always come back to us, and they just, you know, it's like, oh, my God, what a difference. And just speaking to the people there sure. in terms of knowledge, understanding, and, and you know, the, the typical nonsense that is exhibited in a lot of industries, especially those that jump, you know, into the markets on the hype basis of things like, you know, the, the world's, world's coming, coming to an end. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all that kind of nonsense. <laughs> the world's coming to an end by gold. Years. <laughs> and you've heard that for 38 years, haven't you? Yep. Right? world's coming to an end by gold. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're, we're still, still here. here. We're still here. All right, Freddie, I love you. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. All right, Patrick. Love you, too. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye. Good man. You can hear, I mean, this is, if you're going to buy gold and silver coins, whether currency or the collectibles that they have, you know, in the plastic cases, this is the guy to go to. This is, I mean, you are, this is the way they do. They they have real people there that they're just not trying to sell you something, just to sell you something. And every other gold and silver, I know, you know, they just have salespeople that work on a commission. So what do you, do you think they're going to have your best interest at heart? Ding, 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 ding. Okay. His number is 800-878-2646. Now, I'm never just going to sell you something just to sell you something. And, you know, I, Andy, Andy taught, this is the way he was, you know. He just can't do it. He said it's bad karma. <laughs> he used to call it juju. He said it's bad juju. Yeah, you know, you get somebody that has a lot of money, say, oh, yeah, I'll buy this. Yeah, but, no. Andy used to call it bad juju, and that's the way that's been instilled in Fred and, and this whole culture of the company, even though the name has changed, it's still right there with U.S. Coin Capital, 800-878-2646. Okay, we're going to break down a minute. Something's kind of weird going on with our software. I've seen the my picture freezing a bit. Uh, I don't know what's happening, but we're going to we're going to uh, boot up here, reboot, and then bring on Richard Mayberry in ten minutes. Ten minutes with the early warning report. So we'll get his take. A lot of viewpoints on what's happening, what to do, how to invest. He's another one that we really respect and a great honor to talk to. Richard Mayberry, Early Warning Report, coming up in uh, 10 minutes, right here. So stay right there, oneradionetwork.com. Love you. Thank you. May the blessings be. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is oneradionetwork.com.